Some years ago, I got to travel to Africa for the first time to the, the country of Nairobi. And I'll admit, before I went on the trip, I was a little nervous. I had never traveled that far away from home, and I'd never been to a place that was as culturally different as Africa is from my own culture. But when I got to Kenya, all of those anxieties that I felt quickly left. And I was overwhelmed instead by the the beauty of this place, the beauty of the people, the landscape. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. And I was also overwhelmed by the opportunity to join with incredible gospel-centered ministry there that was helping the people of Kenya to know more about the gospel and what God had done for them in Christ. One of the fun things that we got to do while we were in Kenya was go on a safari. We traveled to a a national park there right outside of Nairobi, and we got to see all of these majestic animals in their natural habitat. Just imagine lions lounging on an African plain. Imagine getting to see elephants, zebras, and wildebeest, too numerous to count. As far as the eye can see, it was an overwhelming experience. Now, I'd seen all of these animals before at the zoo, and I've seen them since at the zoo. And zoos are good. They're meant to expose us to what I got to see firsthand in Africa if you were never able to go to Africa. But once you've seen the original, the copy can be a a little disappointing. It's not that zoos are bad. It's just that the original is so much better, and the original is what always comes to mind. And the reality of what's left is just not the same. If you forget the purpose of the zoo, you can leave disappointed instead of grateful for the reminder that it provides. Today, at the end of Ezra 6, we see the temple is finally rebuilt, bringing an end to this first section of the Ezra-Nehemiah story. And as you may remember, there are mixed emotions during the rebuilding of the temple, as we saw at the end of Ezra 3. The foundation is laid, and some of those who saw the first temple begin to weep, fearing that whatever it is that's built on this foundation will not match the glory of the first temple. Others may celebrate, but they can't get out of their mind what was, and they're discouraged by the prospect of what will be. So there's discouragement here, not just from the opposition that we talked about last week, but from what was to what is, from expectation to reality. But God does not want his people to live in discouragement or to miss the true blessing of what it is that he has provided for them. And so as they wrestle with this disappointment from unmet expectations, from what they hoped for to what actually is, God sends them the prophet Haggai. And listen to the words of encouragement the Lord offers to them as they are once again rebuilding the temple. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 9 in the book of Haggai. Here's what the Word of God says. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? 
Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I love what God tells the people there in verses 4 and 5. He says, I know you may feel disappointed now. You may feel weak, but I want you to be strong. Do this work, for I am with you. My, my spirit remains in your midst. In essence, God is saying to them that he will be their strength, reminding them of where their strength actually come from comes from. He's, he's saying to them, don't forget the purpose of the temple. Don't forget what makes it special. It's not the silver or gold that makes this temple unique. There are many buildings around the world that are ornately decorated. What makes this building special is that God will indwell it. It will be a meeting place between God, the holy and righteous creator God of the universe, and man. It will be a reminder that he is among this people. And that's what gives them strength. So the people of God, strengthened by the promise of God and his presence, they finish the temple. And while some things admittedly may be different, the main thing is the same. God comes to dwell there among his people. And what we see in Ezra chapter 6, verses 13 to 22, is the dedication of the temple and the Passover celebration that follows. Incredible displays of worship from God's people as they collectively celebrate what he has done. God has led them from disappointment to joy by reminding them of what really matters. By reminding them of the, the true source of their joy, which is God himself. And what an important message for us as God's people today. How many of us, how many Christians feel constant disappointment? How many times does the reality of this world not meet our expectations? And how often does that gap between what we want and what is lead us to a place of despair? As Christians, as God's people, these words should not characterize us. We shouldn't be a people of disappointment or a people of despair. We should rather be a, a celebratory people because Despite all the things in this world that can lead to discouragement, we have the presence with, of God with us, friends. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is deep delight. God's people are at their strongest when they are delighting deeply in their God. He wants us to be joyful because only then, can we be the people that God wants us to be? 
Who wants to serve a God that, that leads his people to joylessness? No. God will give us joy. And he will give us joy by giving, him, giving us himself. So let's read about how God leads his people into joy today in our text. Ezra chapter 6, verses 13 to 22. Here's what the word of God says. Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah and the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Again, in those two verses, looking all the way forward through the completed story of Ezra and Nehemiah. And then back to verse 15. This house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar and the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at their dedication of this house of God a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the fourteenth day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. The people of God, according to verse 14, have built and prospered under the direction of God. The word of God has led them to the presence of God and allowed them to move from disappointment and discouragement to joy and satisfaction, and consequently to move from disobedient inaction to obedient action. And as a result, they finished the job. They finished the work that God entrusted to them. The temple is rebuilt. And now they are ready to celebrate. Now, they're not looking to celebrate their work, but rather the work of God. And even more important than that, than to celebrate the reality that God is once again with them. And that's what all this work means. This work would not have been completed if not for God. And this work is a reminder that God is for them and with them. And what a a beautiful truth to be reminded of on the other side of exile. So they dedicate the temple. And even though the offering wasn't quite as big as the dedication of the temple in the time of Solomon, they gave what they had and they do it joyfully. And then a little bit later, they get to celebrate the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the temple. Another reminder of God's presence and the strength that it's meant to bring for his people. God had brought them home. God had given them favor. God had given them supplies. And most importantly, God had given them himself, making them joyful. 
according to verse 22. It's clear that the idea of joy is the centerpiece of this text. We see the word several times as we read through these verses. And in the midst of this celebration, God is is teaching his people, teaching us today about how he leads us into true joy by leading us into his presence. And for our time together today, that's what I'd, I'd like for us to consider, to prayerfully ponder this question. How does God lead us to true, lasting joy? How are we able to delight deeply in the Lord and walk in strength as his people? Well, to guide us in answering that question, I want us to focus on verse 21. Because I think in this verse, God sheds some light on how he leads us to joy in his presence. There's three divine actions that I want to call our attention to that God unveils in this verse that lead us into the joy-filled presence of our God. So here they are, these three actions. Action one, God leads us into joy by leading us out of exile. Action two, God leads us into joy by leading us to live set-apart lives. And then action three, God leads us into joy by leading us into worship. Now let's see how each of these actions are displayed in the text and in the larger story of Ezra. Action one, God leads us into joy by leading us out of exile. Verse 21 says that this Passover lamb that was offered was eaten by all those who returned from exile and who had joined the people of God. God has brought his people home. He has brought them back into the land of promise. They were cast out, as you may remember, because of their sin, because of their disregard for God and for the things of God. God had sent them into judgment, and he no longer dwelt among them in the temple. But a restoration is taking place now. And this restoration pictures the larger work of restoration that God is doing on all of our behalf. It's a restoration that is present in the whole story of the Bible, not just the story here in Ezra chapter 6. Let's go back to the garden for a moment in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are enjoying the presence of God. They are literally walking with him in the garden, but they rebel. They believe the word of a serpent more than they believe the word of God. And that sin, that rejection of God's authority creates a break in the fellowship between God and man. Their their fellowship was immediately changed and they were sent out of the garden in exile, cursed. And now all of mankind is awaiting the day when we can return. We're, we're looking for the way that we can have that intimate fellowship with our creator God restored. Now the temple was a step in the right direction, at least in terms of enjoying the presence of God. But as we have seen, it was limited. It was better than nothing, but it wasn't the garden. The people were still in exile, at least in a sense. Even in this return, a greater exile existed Sin had not been fully accounted for. And as long as sin was present, as long as sin was there and the relationship between God and man, a separation would necessarily exist. But this brings us to the work of Christ, where God 
not only was among us, but was truly with us. Jesus comes and he walks with us. He talks with us. He allows us to behold the Father in ways that we would have never imagined in this present exile. And through his sacrificial death, through his permanent sin offering, perfectly fulfilling the sacrifice we see mentioned in verse 17, we are able to step into the presence of God once again. We are led out of exile. And we are being now led into a greater land of promise, a new garden, wherein we will be able to walk with God for all of eternity. We get foretastes of that now as the Spirit indwells us, but we know a better day is coming. Here's the reality, church. You cannot have joy apart from God. And if you have not been brought near to God out of exile, By Jesus, you will never have true joy. The first step in finding true joy is to be brought back from exile through Christ to join the people of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect Passover Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, who shields us from the wrath of God by taking that wrath upon himself. He is the only way we can step out of exile, be released from the curse, back into the presence of God, where fullness of joy can be found. And when we partake of Him, we now partake of the joy that we have been longing for. Then notice the second action mentioned in verse 21. God leads us into joy by leading us to live set apart lives. As God calls us to himself out of exile, we are also called to live in holiness, to continue to abide in the the presence of God, which gives us true joy. The people of God got into trouble on the front side of exile by not remaining distinct. And even in their return, they have been tempted to compromise their set-apartness When the people who are already living in the land want to join them in rebuilding the temple. And the temptations will continue as the people of God try to live in this land once again, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But God cannot abide a disobedient people. He will not bless a people who are not walking in accordance with his will. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline. That is the nature of sin, friends. Sin separates. It leads to death, as we've already seen. But obedience leads to life. Now, we have to be careful here how we thread this needle to get to the other side of the work of Christ. The people of God in Ezra 6 are still relying upon ritual purity. Their actions have a direct result on their standing before God. But our situation in Christ is different. His actions have let us out of exile permanently. And we cannot have that status removed if we are truly in him. But that doesn't mean that we can live however we please. No, in fact, to do so would suggest that we haven't really been reconciled to God at all. When we come to God, we realize that the only way we can truly prosper, truly succeed, is when we live in accordance with God's word. That's what verse 14 in our text instructs us. The people prospered because they listened to the word of God. Even in Christ, our obedience matters. 
Not necessarily in a saving way, but in an abiding way. Here's what I mean. The more we walk with God, the, the, the more we walk in obedience to God's word, the closer we can get to God. As we are sanctified and, and sin is removed from our lives, we can draw nearer and nearer to God. We can experience the presence of God in greater ways, which brings even greater joy, true prosperity. But the enemy is on the prowl. and He wants to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to make us weak by stealing our joy. Remember Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so the enemy wants to limit our access to God, our enjoyment in the presence of God by leading us into sin. As God's people, we need to walk in obedience. We need to walk in holiness and set apartness because when we do that, we walk closer to God. We walk in fellowship with God, which means we walk in joy. We are filled with with joy, and we are strengthened for his work. How many Christians do you know that are constantly struggling with sin, constantly walking in discouragement and failure, falling to the attacks of the enemy? How effective are they for the work of God? How effective are you for the work of God when you find yourself in that kind of position? No, we need to respond to these attacks from the enemy and the strength of the Lord, by the power of the Spirit that's at work within us to remember where true joy is found and reject the lie of the enemy that got us into trouble in the first place. Let's remember, Jesus was attractive not because of how similar he was, but because of how different he was. He had something everyone knew they needed, direct access to God. He had a a joy and satisfaction that was unique because he uniquely abided in the presence of God. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have everything you need to walk in holiness. You have the word of God, you have the spirit of God, and the example of Christ. We simply, in the power of the Spirit, need to choose to live in what we know. And when we do, we are led into greater joy. This other stuff, it's promising promising something it can't deliver. And we know it. That stuff online, that promotion, that bank account, that car, that other woman, that other man, that figure, it will not lead to joy. It will not cause you to delight deeply in the Lord. It's not a durable joy. It's a tool of the enemy to distract you, to weaken you. So you need to claim Romans 6.12 today. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. No, you're under a different reign. You're under the rule and reign of King Jesus, and he alone gives true joy. And when you do fall, repent and return to Jesus knowing where true joy is found. Let's live set-apart lives, friends, knowing that when we walk in holiness, we're closer to God. And you will never be more happy 
than when you were closer to God. Action three, God leads us into joy by leading us in to worship. Again, verse 21, this Passover lamb eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Worship. There's something about the nature of joy, of God's design of joy that demands expression. In fact, joy is not really complete until it is shared, until it is expressed. And we see that all around us, right? I mean, when we delight in something, we praise it. When I delight in a movie, I I tweet about it or I call a friend to talk about it. When I delight in a song, I share it. When I delight in a person, I tell them. Delight, the, the reality of joy leads to expression. And one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis helps explain why. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is, it's a point in consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. What C.S. Lewis is showing us here is that delight is meant to be shared. And that is one of the many blessings of, of corporate worship. As we see here in our text, the people of God are not aimless in their worship when they gather together at the temple. Rather, they are remembering the faithfulness of God. As they celebrate the Passover, they're probably saying something like this. Do you remember how God miraculously led our fathers and our mothers out of bondage? Well, guess what? He's done it again. Can you believe the faithfulness of God? Do you remember how quickly they left so they couldn't even allow their bread to rise? And do you remember how God provided for them as they walked in the wilderness? Well, guess what? He's done it again. He's still a God who provides. Can you you believe the faithfulness of God? As they remember the work of God, they delight in it. And more importantly, they delight in the God that work reveals. Some have said that our God is selfish to demand praise and to worship from his people. What kind of God demands praise for himself? Isn't that rather self-serving? Well, listen, that question misses the, the blessing of praise for us. Our joy is meant to be expressed. It is meant to be shared. And joy has not reached its fullness until it has. It's a blessing for us to be able to praise God as his people, to declare our delight in him. It's good for us. And that's why he demands it. So see the path here, friends, to true joy, to delighting deeply in the Lord. God makes us joyful by bringing us out of exile, 
leading us to walk in holiness and declaring our delight in worship. All three elements are needed for us to experience God's presence here until the day we are finally allowed to walk into that new garden, the garden that God has prepared for us. And remember, that path is only possible through Christ. Only in Jesus can we be led of exile, out of exile. Only through the work of the Spirit that is ours, that is in us because of the work of Christ, can we live set-apart lives after the example of Christ. And only in Christ can we be drawn to a place of true worship, remembering the faithfulness of God, displayed in Christ, the greatest display of His faithfulness that we have ever seen. This world is broken. It does not have what we truly long for. There will be disappointment. There will be discouragement. But friends, one day, what we are longing for, what we have glimpsed but not yet fully seen, will be realized and we will find what we are longing for. We will have fellowship with God and enjoy Him forever. And you can trust that God will bring us to that place just as he has always brought his people to the fulfillment of his promises. You know, the zoo can be a delightful place for me now. As I think about the day that I will get to bring my family to experience what I have experienced. As it, it points me to remember the joy that I had when I was there in Africa. And I can't wait to share that joy with them. I just need to have the right perspective when I go to the zoo so that I don't walk away ungrateful. And the same is true here. When we experience now the foretaste of joy, it should cause us to long for the day when we will taste that fully, delighting fully in the presence of God for all of eternity. These glimpses here are meant to stir a longing for there, where our joy will be eternally full. And God is actively leading us as his people to that place of joy. Because when we are filled with joy, we are filled with strength to finish the work he has entrusted to us. So, are you on the path of joy? Are you on this path to the presence of God where fullness of joy is found? Let me ask you, have you been rescued from your exile in Christ? Or are you still under the curse, separated from God? A separation that will last for all of eternity if you don't come under the work of Christ. Hear me, God has drawn near to us in Jesus. And if you come under the sacrifice of Christ, you can draw near to him. That once and for all, sacrifice for sin that allows us to come into the presence of God. Oh, it can be yours today. If you repent and believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can return from exile. If you're already in Christ, 
and you have that foretaste of the presence of God, you're experiencing a little bit of that joy that we will experience for all of eternity. Are you walking in holiness? Are you living a set-apart life? Because if you don't, the enemy will steal that joy and he will steal your effectiveness in the work of God. God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to, to be closer to him because you are never stronger than when you are walking closer, uh, when you're walking closely with God. Don't let the enemy steal your joy by turning, turning you to, to wells of bitter water. That can never satisfy. No, no, no. Let's walk in holiness in the spirit of God, according to the word of God in the example of Christ, trusting that the joy we find there is greater than any joy we can find here. Let's not let the the enemy make us weak for the things of God. Let's let the presence of God and the joy that comes from that strengthen us for the work of God. And finally, are you declaring your delight in God? I cannot wait for two weeks from today when we will be able to gather in some way and I will get to hear and you will get to hear the praises of God's people in person. When the joy we find in God will find some completion as we express it to one another. I'm longing for that day. And I hope you are as well. What a blessing praising God is for the people of God. And we should be doing that today in our homes and certainly corporately anytime we have the chance together as his people. Friends, joy is available in Christ. We can delight deeply in God as we walk down the path he has provided for us. So let's be a joyful people for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us today see the path you've provided for us and follow it into your presence, delighting in you deeply so that we can be a joy-filled people. We want to be strong for the work of God as you challenge us in Haggai 2. And we know that can only happen at your direction. You make us joyful by bringing us out of exile, helping us to walk in a set-apart, holy way, enjoying your presence, and declaring our delight in worship. Father, find us faithfully walking that path. We praise your people. In the name of Jesus, amen.